Training camp is officially upon us. The Seahawks reported yesterday and will have their first practice at the VMAC later today. We're going to be breaking down key defensive storylines as the Seahawks begin preparation for the 2022 season on a jam-packed Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Wednesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks as always for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We have finally made it the first day of training camp for the Seattle Seahawks. They will be back on the practice field. It's going to feel like OTAs and mini camps these first few days as they build players back up to padded practices, but it's officially the 2022 season. Yesterday, we looked at offensive storylines and offensive players with the most pressure to perform in camp. We're going to flip gears to the defensive side of the football, looking at some of the key storylines for Clint Hurts' unit and looking at some players that have a lot of pressure on them heading into the 2022 season. Without further ado, now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Ushering in a new season, the Seahawks will be back on the practice field today, Rob. And obviously, as we mentioned yesterday, the quarterback situation some of the personnel-related stuff, DK Metcalf's contract, Chris Carson's health. Those topics are obviously very important, but away from quarterback, there might not be a more important storyline in general for the Seahawks than how this defense is going to look without number 54 in the middle. Bobby Wagner now in L.A. playing for the Rams, and Cody Barton's got some pretty darn big shoes that he's going to have to try to fill. Yeah, it's going to be a monstrous task to to replace uh, Bobby Wagner. I mean, just a, a future Hall of Famer, uh, a future Ring of Honor member for the Seahawks, a guy that did it with class on and off the field. Uh, you know, Corbin, I, I think back to Bobby Wagner's career in Seattle. I remember the uh, the injury he sustained a couple of years ago towards the end of the regular season. It looked like his, like his season was over. He came back uh, and decided to play that game. And then even when he um, was holding out, he was a hold in still returned to Seattle and showed his class in that regard as well. It's going to be surreal going to training camp here and not seeing Bobby Wagner, you know, kind of walk out of the tunnel, so to speak, uh, out onto the VMAC field. Um, and so it literally and figuratively replacing Bobby Wagner in the middle of Seattle's defense is going to be a monumental task. Um, I think it's going to be one of the, the biggest storylines, not only in Seattle, but from a National Football League perspective as well. Um, Cody Barton, of course, I think the Seahawks should feel very good about what he brings to the fold. This is very dis, uh, very different than what we we're talking about at the quarterback position. Obviously, we know how important that position is, but Seattle doesn't have a lot of experience at that spot. With Cody Barton, however, they have a guy who has proven that he can be a quality starter in the NFL. He's already done it here in Seattle. Um, and, of course, his athletic ability, his instincts and coverage, and just the knack that he showed throughout his time, at least in training camp, Corbin, when he was getting extended reps, then he showed that kind of knack for making some big plays as well. And that, of course, is something that the great Bobby Wagner, as great as he has been, he started to kind of tail down some of those game-changing kind of plays over the last couple of years. So that's why I think that the Seahawks 
Ducks actually are in a better position to replace Bobby Wagner. Again, as great of a player as he is, but they're in a better position to replace him than they might be at the quarterback on the other side of the field. And one of the obstacles that Barton's going to have to deal with, aside from just the fact that you are stepping in to Bobby Wagner's former stead, they're not expecting him to replace Wagner's production. Wagner's one of the greatest linebackers all time. But the other thing that Barton's going to have to deal with is the defense is expected to look a lot different schematically. And with him being not a small linebacker necessarily, but not a big one either, playing in a 3-4, taking on blocks more often, having to shed blocks, that is going to be a challenge that he's going to have to show in training camp that he can handle the preseason as well. He's played that 4-3 middle linebacker in several starts for the Seahawks as a spot starter. But that's going to be something that's going to be a tall task for him, and he's going to have to prove himself. And I think that leads into our second big storyline here. Just how different is this defense going to look under the coaching of coordinator Clint Hurt? We've already heard from him, the coach himself, talking about some of the differences as far as playing more odd fronts, playing more aggressively, more man coverage. All of these are staples of a Vic Fangio defense. And that should not be surprising because Clint Hurt was an assistant for Fangio in Chicago for several years. So that has already been an extensive part of his background. But I don't know if this is necessarily going to be reinventing the wheel. We already saw a lot of odd fronts late last season going to more bear packages with a nose tackle, two defensive tackles, and two overhang edge defenders. That's something the Seahawks have been diving into the last couple of years. And Pete Carroll has said it's always been a 4-3 defense that has 3-4 principles. So I don't know that they're going to be reinventing the wheel. There are certainly going to be some changes. I do think the types of coverages they're going to play, the way they deploy their secondary players is going to be different. But that is going to be fascinating to me is really seeing for the first time OTAs and minicamps don't count. How different truly is this defense going to be from a schematic perspective? I think one of the things that you're going to see with Clint Hurt is I think you're going to see a much more kind of a personal approach to coaching than you saw with the former linebacker Ken Norton Jr. And I think that that's going to result in, in some uh, some kind of breakout performances from some of the players, including our number th- our list here, uh, number three on our list, in- including in terms of the pass rush. Um, we've talked about this before. We both think that Daryl Taylor is a rising star in the league. Ichena Nuoso, the free agent addition from the Chargers, is the power complement to Taylor's swiftness uh, off the off the edge. And then, of course, you have the wild card in the edge rusher, Boye Mafe, the rookie who signed officially uh, yesterday. So I think that because you have this three-headed monster, the pass rusher position, Corbin, you are going to see Seattle make a significant jump up um, in, in this regard. Last year, Seattle finished with the seventh fewest sacks in all of the NFL. Of those 10 teams who were around there, because a couple of them uh, were, were tied with Seattle and a couple of other teams, of those 10, only three of those teams made the playoffs. And two of the players or two of the defenses that finished in the top five, the Chicago Bears and the Minnesota Vikings, Seattle plucked two of their best young coaches in Sean Desai and Carl Scott and brought them to Seattle. I think those aggressive, that aggressive mentality from those secondary coaches might actually have as much of an impact on how Seattle addresses their pass rush as Clint Hurts ascension from defensive line coach to the defensive coordinator this year. That's a perfect segue into my fourth storyline here. What does this Sean Desai, Carl Scott effect look like in the secondary And I'm going to reference Desai mostly in this because I think when you look at where this Seahawks team is heading, for them to be at their very best this season on the defensive side of the football, you need the very best you can get. 
out of Jamal Adams. You traded two first-round picks to the Jets to get him, and I don't think he has been as bad as some fans are trying to let on. I think he's still been a very productive player. Even last year, he had two picks the last four games before he got hurt. But the injuries and the inability to maximize his skill set, having no sacks last year, very little pressure, it just seemed like the Seahawks couldn't figure out how to really utilize his unique skill set. And that's been a struggle the two years he's been with the team. Clint Hurt wants to play more aggressive defense. Sean Desai is a safety coach by specialty. And so you know that one of the drawing cards to Seattle was the ability to coach both Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams. And he's already had success with safeties in the past that have unique skill sets. Eddie Jackson in Chicago, he turned into an all-pro, a first-team all-pro at that. So the opportunity to coach up Jamal Adams and really maximize his pass rushing value, best utilize him in coverage, aggressively use him against the run, that is really where Sean Desai is going to be evaluated. And Carl Scott with the corners on the outside, these two younger coaches that have that aggressive mentality, can you maximize the talent they have in the secondary, particularly at the safety position where they could have the best safety duo in the NFL? It just hasn't necessarily played out that way all the way around the last two years. So can you get to that ceiling? That's where that Sean Desai, Carl Scott effect is going to come into play. Can you maximize your value with the personnel that you have in this secondary? And one of the players that I am most intrigued by with this new coaching staff, it would be one of those nickel corners that we've talked about before, Corbin, as true wild card. If Sean Desai and Carl Scott and Pete Carroll and Clint Hurt, whoever it takes, if somebody can somehow unlock the potential that is Marquise Blair, then that's really one of those kind of difference-making options that I really think you know, have a, a significant impact in how Seattle performs this season in terms of the wins and losses. I mean, there's only so many impact players out there. As you talked about before with Sean Desai and his willingness to use those three safety looks in Chicago. If Seattle does, in fact, have the best starting tandem of safeties, and obviously the all-pros, Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams, they might not only have that, the best two-headed safety, they may not have the best three-headed safety monster in all of the NFL if you, br if you bring in Blair and he can live up to his potential. So, again, to me, those are easily the five storylines on the defensive side of the football that every Seahawk fan should be paying attention to in 2022's training camp. The Seahawks have been dying to see what that three safety look is going to be like on the field, and yet they've had very few chances because of the injuries that have impacted this secondary. So they're hoping that Blair can be fully healthy and reclaim that slot job and stay in the lineup so that those three players can be out there wreaking havoc together. But Justin Coleman and Ugo Amadi are going to be viable competitors at that slot position as well. So Blair doesn't have a starting job just locked up from the outset. He's going to have to prove he's healthy and re-win that job. If that happens, then you could have a three-headed safety monster that finally comes to fruition the way that Pete Carroll and company have been envisioning the last couple of years. We're going to continue our 90 player countdown coming up next with numbers 10 through six. We're in the top 10. Finally here on the opening day of training camp, we're going to get to four players and a coach that finds his way into the list here in our top 10 here in a moment. If you're living paycheck to paycheck or struggling to make ends meet, it can be really stressful when unexpected expenses come up. Now Dave can help you get out of a pinch when you really need it. Dave is the banking app that can help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. That's more money to fill your tank, buy a wedding gift, 
or even catch up on your bills. You can finally tackle those expenses that have been stressing you out without any hangups. There's no interest and no credit check needed. Millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to get the financial relief they need with extra cash. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now. That's D-A-V-E. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve member FDIC. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my coach in crime, Rob Rang. It's officially the first day of training camp. Everybody get fired up. The 2022 season is here and we are now into the top 10 in our 90-player countdown. Now, I'm going to put a caveat with this. This is the Seahawks' fault. This is not our fault here on Locked on Seahawks. <laughs> they have had 89 players on the roster for the last month and a half. When we started this countdown, they had 91 players on the roster. But then they decided to release two guys and not replace them. And so that messed up our 90-man countdown. So we'll have a little bit of a change up here to make sure that we have 90 slots to cover. But coming in, starting off our top 10 here, coming in at number 10, a newcomer arriving in the Russell Wilson trade, dynamic tight end Noah Fant. His production has been good, not great in Denver. Not a lot of that has been on him with the quarterback situation they've had. The offenses have not been great. But he surpassed 600 yards for third straight season, a career-high four touchdowns last year. And Rob, this is a player that brings elite athleticism to the table. He can break tackles after the catch. He's a yak machine. He can stretch the field vertically. You can play him at tight end, in line, as a slot, as a fullback. You can move him around. He's really got the joker principles that a lot of NFL teams are looking for at the position. And when you already have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett on your offense, this should be a guy that is a prime candidate to become that complimentary third weapon and really blow up in Shane Waldron's 12 personnel heavy offense. Corbin, he should explode. He really should. I mean, the the, the physical talent that Noah Fant uh, possesses. Uh, obviously, if, if Drew Locke is the quarterback, there is some familiarity there. Um, and if not, if it is Geno Smith, then he has shown a, a greater willingness to to throw the ball to the tight end than Russell Wilson ever showed. Uh, you know, throughout his career in in Seattle, um, Shane Waldron's offense has proven to be basically a uh, you know a smorgasbord for for tight ends to, to really be able to be very productive. So I think that all of the things line up for Noah Fant to absolutely have a spectacular first season in Seattle. I expect it to be statistically similar uh, to some of the greatest seasons the Seattle's ever had that position. Of course, the greatest ones being from Jimmy Graham when he wound up being a pro bowler. And that's exactly the type of level that I expect Noah Fant to be able to ascend to this upcoming season. I think that Noah Fant is going to be a superstar in Seattle. One player that was a superstar late last season, we had been waiting for this player to show up, but injuries prevented us from seeing him. That's Rashad Penny. What a breakout that he had in the last six games last season. Finally healthy, first real opportunity to be the starter with Chris Carson on injured reserve, led the NFL in rushing yards during that span. Four games with 130 or more yards. He had seven runs of 25 or more yards in just those six games alone. To put that in perspective, Rob, Penny ran eight 25-plus yard rushes during the season 
tying the league lead with Jonathan Taylor, and he did it on more than 200 fewer carries. So we saw just how dynamic Rashad Penny can really be as a home run threat. He was the NFL's best home run threat out of the backfield last year, and he only really played six games the end of the season. The Seahawks are hoping they can bottle that up. He's on a new one-year deal, a prove-it contract, $5.75 million. Rashad Penny, can you stay healthy? And if you can do that, can you somewhat come close to replicating that production? Because if he could do this over the course of an entire season, he got a chance to not only win a rushing title, he could have one of the greatest rushing seasons in Seahawks history and maybe be a contender for an all-pro. He has that kind of talent. He's just got to stay healthy. He does. And as you said, I mean, he just has to stay healthy because he does have that type of talent. I mean, he he proved why he was legit, you know, a legitimate first round caliber player on a lot of NFL teams boards a couple of years ago. I know Seattle took a lot of flack when they made that selection. There's a lot of fans out there who just, you know, hate the idea of ever investing in early selection in a running back. But Rashad Penny with his dominant play over that six game stretch, uh, you know, really did put the NFL on its ear a little bit. And, and that is exactly, again, why Seattle made the investment that they did. It's the same type of production that we saw over Rashad Penny at San Diego State. It's what we saw at the Senior Bowl when he was absolutely spectacular. Um, you know, so to me, this is one of those players that, again, kind of like some of the other guys we talked about that are the wild cards that really, based on how they perform this year, could help Seattle go from, you know, add two, three, four victories to their season. Uh, you know, and so just unbelievable talent but it is on that one-year contract and how much of the of the you know how many times is he going to get the ball with, with seattle all you know investing in the selection the second round selection and ken walker we don't know what's going to happen with chris carson but there is no denying that rashad penny is an unbelievable talent and if seattle can get their offensive line figured out and get any type of consistency at the quarterback position i agree with you i think that rashad penny has a chance to kind of put up mind-boggling numbers this season but again, he is as big of a wildcard factor as there is on Seattle's entire roster. And I would argue pretty much throughout the rest of the entire NFL as well. Yeah, I think in terms of fantasy, you know, there's going to be a lot of people wanting to draft him early, even though he's got an injury history. There's a lot of risk here, but we now know what he's capable of doing because we've seen it for an extended period of time. And Seattle, again, they're hoping to bottle that up and he can have a monster season. That would go a long ways towards this offense being a respectable unit, even without Russell Wilson. If they can have a dominant run game headlined by Penny, then that would give him a chance to win a lot more football games than most prognosticators are expecting them to. Now with number eight, a player that we have yet to see play an NFL game. But as you mentioned on yesterday's episode, Rob, Charles Cross has a lot of pressure on him because he's the number nine overall selection there's not any viable competition for him at left tackle. They didn't bring back Dwayne Brown. They didn't re-sign any other veterans to compete against him. This is Charles Cross's job at left tackle on day one. And with that, there comes an incredible responsibility. You're playing left tackle. You are the blindside protector for either Geno Smith or Drew Locke, the new starting quarterback. Incredible burden to put on a young kid, but he was so good at protecting the quarterback at the college level. That's why he went in the top ten, top ten. He's going to have to prove that he can adapt to a pro style offense and be able to block out of a three point stance in the run game consistently. There are going to be growing pains, but there's no question that he has a very high ceiling, and the Seahawks have immediate expectations for him to be a quality starter at left tackle. 
Yeah, and just like I talked about before with Rashad Penny and having conversations with other teams throughout the league, and that's why I know that there were clubs out there that had first-round grades on Rashad Penny. I I know that the Seahawks had uh, a had Charles Cross as the number two offensive tackle in this class, behind only Aquanu um, and uh, Evan Neal from Alabama is a player who I personally was higher on. Seattle actually had as the number three tackle behind uh, Charles Cross, and I think that would surprise a lot of Seahawks fans out there. Um, but that's how high they are on Charles Cross. And when you watch him in pass protection, you know I've talked about this before, Corbin. I mean, there are just things that this young man at 6'5", 320 pounds can do. Just his lateral quickness, his balance. I mean, he truly looks like an NBA player the way that he just redirects. I mean, it's basically like a one-on-one -on -one kind of a basketball thing. And you're seeing so many of the pass rushers in today's NFL basically are like small forwards in the, you know, in the NFL coming off the edge. It's not just power um it is incredible quickness and speed and that's what charles cross is very well situated to be able to handle it's the power element that i have concerns about as a redshirt sophomore 21 year old player coming into the nfl he is going to be facing a good pass rusher underrated pass rusher in my opinion bradley chubb from the broncos and that that week one game against the denver broncos and that i think is going to be a fascinating matchup because chubb is a talented player with length and power and that is going to be right off the gate right out of the gates that's going to be one heck of a of a uh a burden for charles cross to to overcome um just because of the fact that again every single week when you're playing left tackle position in the nfl every single week you're going to get a superstar opposite you and so how charles cross is able to hold up may wind up actually having more of an impact on who wins the quarterback position than whatever geno smith or drew Locke might be able to provide because if charles cross isn't reliable in pass protection then the quarterback's going to get himself hurt anyways when you mentioned the look of a modern pass rusher, Daryl Taylor checks off that box, that small forward build in the NBA at around 255, 260 pounds, explosive athlete, really elite quickness, great change of direction skills for a defensive lineman, for a pass rusher. And I know he's going to be listed as a linebacker, but he could play a 4-3 defensive end as well. He's got the flexibility to do that. But again, his athleticism, his burst off the edge – that is his calling card and his ability to be able to turn the corner, get flat, hunt down quarterbacks. We saw signs of it last year. There were some issues flattening out the top of his rush early on, but it seems like breakout is on the way for this kid. And I think the big reason why I'm so optimistic about that is I think he's got a more well-rounded game as a pass rusher than a lot of people realize. Yes, he can pin his ears back and get past tackles, fly up field, turn the corner quick, but ask Braden Smith of the Colts from week one last year, what a Daryl Taylor bull rush can look like. He can catch you flat-footed and turn speed to power with the best of them. And if he can harness that and use it more consistently to go with his elite speed and quickness off the edge, then this kid undoubtedly has the talent to get double-digit sacks. And the Seahawks haven't had edge rusher do that since Frank Clark in 2018. I made the prediction yesterday that Terrell is uh, – I made the prediction on Monday that Taylor is going to be the guy – that's going to make that happen. I think he's got a very good chance to get double digit sacks this year playing in a scheme that fits his skill set well. And again, he just checks off all the boxes for a modern pass rusher flying off the edge. He's got the speed, he's got the quickness, he's got the power, the moves, you name it. Now he just got to put everything together. If he does that, look out quarterbacks in the NFC West.
Oh, 100% agree with you. I mean, he had six and a half sacks a year ago, Corbin. Obviously, that was essentially his rookie season after missing his true rookie season the entire year coming off of the, um, the rod being placed in his in his leg. Um, he is Seattle's reigning, returning uh, pass rusher. Of course, Carlos Dunlap moving on. He had eight and a half sacks. Um, as I mentioned, uh, Taylor had six and a half. I, I really do expect him to basically almost double that, that type of production this upcoming season. Um, I, I am excited about Mafe and Nuosu. We've talked about both of them, but I do think that Daryl Taylor is, uh, you know, the best combination of size, power, athleticism. You talked about his ability as a, as a four, three defensive end. I think this guy is athletic and I think he might be able to play some four, three Sam linebacker. I mean, we saw some times where he dropped into coverage a year ago and there were certainly some moments where it looked like he was kind of a, a deer caught in the headlights, so to speak. And that he just looked a little confused using coverage but you also saw the athletic ability there are moments corbin when his athleticism daryl taylor's athleticism like jamal adams like marquise blair's just drops your jaw and you're just like wow if they could net figure out this kid he really could be special that's the type of potential i see with daryl taylor a pro bowl caliber edge rusher and as you said it's been a long time since frank clark since seattle has had that truly dominant edge rusher that opposing left tackles and quarterbacks had to fear every snap Daryl Taylor is one of those players that is very far from his ceiling. A lot of untapped potential. We can't necessarily say that about our number six. I guess you could say player here. Pete Carroll, the coach, coming in at number six in our countdown. Going to be 71 during this season. He's won a Super Bowl. He's led this team to the playoffs eight of the past ten years. Two Super Bowl appearances, four NFC West titles. Had that very successful run at USC at the college level. So Pete Carroll is a proven commodity as the coach on the sideline. He is the gum-chewing champion of the Seahawks, and he's really excited for this opportunity. You know that he wants to coach up this young, rebuilding roster, and he wants to exceed expectations. He likes having his back up against the wall. He likes people doubting his football team. And no Russell Wilson, no Bobby Wagner. Well, I'm going to show you. So if you think that Pete Carroll is going to tank this season, you got another thing coming, especially this stage of his career. His goal is to have a very competitive team in the NFC West that nobody wants to play by the end of the season. And given his track record, maybe people should be giving him a little more of a benefit of the doubt that he can accomplish that in 2022. I, I certainly think that they should be giving him more credit. You know, we had a, an episode a couple of weeks ago, Corbo, we kind of talked about who were some of the head coaches in the NFL that were the most likely to be fired. And the fact that Pete Carroll's name was early on that list, I thought was just shocking that the success that he has had in the NFL, besides just Seattle, as well as the collegiate level, national championships, Super Bowl victories, four different coaches that he has worked with that have gone on to coach in the NFL. Dan Quinn, uh, you know, Gus Bradley, um, Robert Sala, of course, and then uh, Daryl Bevel um, had some time, of course, with Jacksonville Jaguars last year. Uh, you know, I mean, it just speaks for itself. Um, you know, and now what he is attempting to do and to return to the playoffs after trading away a franchise quarterback, that's something you and I have talked about, Corbin. It would be historic. Um, and so what he's attempting to do is something that nobody has done before. But at the same time, who better to do it than Pete Carroll? And I would finish my thoughts on Carroll in this regard. As I talked about before, everybody knows his college success. I think it's one of the reasons why he is so well-suited to be able to handle this challenge because he kind of takes every 
every challenge that way. He is used to having to have having to kind of restore the roster just because of the the way that college football works and different than the NFL on the contracts. And so I think that that allows him potentially to be able to turn Seattle's roster around much quicker and much more successfully than a lot of those naysayers are suggesting. And that's going to be one of the big storylines here. What does Pete Carroll have up his sleeve with this new look roster, a youth movement, the established Hall of Fame stars now being gone? Can he prove everybody wrong? And can he make this team competitive? You know that he's going to be going out confident that he's capable of doing that. Jody Allen put her confidence in him by allowing the Russell Wilson trade to happen and having this roster be rebuilt rebooted going into the future they're hoping to be back in contention quickly up next we're going to be shifting gears back to the defensive side of the football yesterday we talked offensive players that are under the most pressure to perform heading into the 2022 season and training camp we're going to look at defensive players that fit that same bill that are under a lot of pressure going into this season when we return betonline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including the second half of the Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting and wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. And BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your podcasts and news this season. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, whether it's MMA, boxing, or golf. Head to the website today and use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks, first day of training camp. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me is always my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked on NFL podcast as your second listen. Our national NFL experts and insiders keep fans dialed in with the biggest stories and latest news from around the league as we kick off the season. It's available on all major platforms where you listen to podcasts. Yesterday, Rob, we had a chance to dive into offensive players under pressure to perform heading into training camp. We're going to flip the script for our Wednesday episode with the Seahawks set to practice here later today. First practice of training camp. Which defensive players are under the most pressure to perform? And so I'm going to hand you the mic again first. Which player do you think has the most burden, the most weight on their shoulders defensively heading into 2022? Well, similar to the conversation we had yesterday, Corbin, when I thought that it was fairly obvious that Drew Locke, you know, had the most pressure on him to replace the living legend in the future Hall of Famer, Russell Wilson. The same thing here with Cody Barton having to replace number 54 and Bobby Wagner um, at the middle of Seattle's defense. Obviously, Jordan Brooks is a superstar. He proved that a year ago in setting the franchise record for the most tackles in a single season. I think that Cody Barton can put up pretty impressive numbers as well. I'm really interested to see if he is going to be able to put up the type of game-changing kind of plays that is going to result in him getting that splashy uh, contract because he is one of a couple of players on our list that I think we're going to be talking about here, Corbin, that are in the last year of their rookie contracts, and they're going to be looking for those splashy paydays. You went with a returning player replacing a legend. I'm going to go with Seattle's top free agent signing because I always think there's a lot of pressure on a player when you join a new team and you get paid. And especially when you're somebody like Chenna Nuosu, that you're filling a critical role in today's NFL, a pass rusher 
playing in a scheme that already is suited for you. You've played in a 3-4 and had success. That was one of the big reasons that you wanted to sign with Seattle in the first place is you love the scheme and you wanted that new environment. But there is going to be a lot of pressure on Nuosu. Daryl Taylor's got some pressure too. You know, six and a half sacks last season. What's he going to do this year? But it's different when you're a newcomer coming in that got paid almost $20 million for two years. Fans are going to expect that you are going to go out and you're going to get after the quarterback. You're going to rack up sacks and quarterback hits. And he's never had more than five sacks a season. Now, he's only 25 years old. This is a young kid that's still improving, still has a lot of room to grow. And that's one reason the Seahawks made a multi-year investment in him. But if he comes out slow out of the gate and isn't able to help this pass brush be a lot better than it was last year, like the Seahawks are hoping he will, then there's going to be some noise that's going to come from the fan base. Why did we spend this money on a guy that hasn't been an impact player? So anytime you're in a situation like Nuosu, new team, you're making a major raise compared to your previous contract, you've got that pressure that comes with that contract to produce. And so I'm curious to see what he does. I think he's going to be a great fit in this defense. But at the same time, we don't have a track record really to go off of other than last season where he was solid but wasn't among league leaders necessarily in sacks or pressures. So there's a bit of unknown here given the money that they paid him. Yeah, and, and the pressure that Nuosu is facing as being that that splashy addition, um, you know, it's kind of a perfect segue because the player I'm going to talk about has having a lot of pressure on him. Jamal Adams knows something about pressure, not only the pressure that he can provide opposing quarterbacks, but the pressure of the fans and those expectations, the coaches, the general managers expectations, the owners for giving him the, you know, the biggest contract, uh, you know, for in, in history for a safety at that point. So everybody is there's going to be a lot of eyes on Jamal Adams and what he is able to do. And we just kind of, you know, earlier in our, our segment today, Corbin, we we're talking about the impact that the new coaches, Sean Desai and Carl Scott, um, what they're going to be able to provide. I, I think that they were brought in in large part because of the unique talent that is Jamal Adams. It's, it's Quantra Diggs as well, of course. But Jamal Adams, his ability at the line of scrimmage really is what makes him such a difference maker. And, and so I am fascinated by what is going to happen here with Seattle. We talked about this a little bit with the kicker, Jason Myers, and how inconsistent he was from year to year. And then you have Jamal Adams, who finished with nine and a half sacks, broke the record, of course, famously two years ago for a safety, and then dropped down to zero a year ago. Talk about inconsistency. So to me, in terms of pressure, I don't know if there is a defensive player out there that has more pressure on him, true pressure from a national perspective, because there's not a lot of people at ESPN or the NFL Network who know much about Cody Barton. And so while there is a lot of pressure in Seattle to replace Bobby Wagner, I think that everybody is expecting from New York West, everybody is looking to Jamal Adams to be able to kind of live up to all of this talk, all of those millions of dollars and all of the production that is expected when you are drafted and paid as well as Jamal Adams was. Yeah, they traded away a pair of first round picks to the yeah. Jets. It was one of the biggest hauls to bring in a safety, maybe the biggest haul to, to trade for a safety in NFL history. And so that by itself, you're expected to be in contention for defensive player of the year when you give up that kind of draft capital and then you pay the player a record-breaking $70 million deal. Sidney Jones, on the other hand, the Seahawks traded a sixth-round pick to the Jaguars for him at the end of August last year, going into the start of the season. He was brought in late, which is never an ideal scenario when you're trying to learn a new system. 
And so obviously the pressure on Jones was not near the same when you're coming over for a sixth round pick. It wasn't the haul they gave for Jamal Adams. But I think there's a lot of pressure on Jones for different reasons this year. He's playing on a one-year prove-it deal, and he was arguably the best corner in the NFC West the last six games last year when you look at the stats. And I'm not going to sit here and say he's better than Jalen Ramsey because he's obviously not. But in the last six games, he was really impressive. He gave up the fourth lowest pass rating when targeted in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus, in his last six games. 56% completion rate. No touchdowns allowed, had more than five pass breakups. He was playing spectacular football. And maybe the thing that I was most encouraged by, this is a player that, dating back to his college career, has not been known for his tackling and his physicality. And yet he went out and had 66 tackles, easily a career high last year. Being healthy helped with that. But, I mean, he was physical. He was a willing run defender. And there were several times that teams tried to test him with bubble screens, and he stepped up and blew up the receiver at the line of scrimmage. He even did it to Zach Ertz on one play on a tight end screen. And so those are the type of plays you didn't see Sidney Jones make earlier in his career. Now the pressure is on him. Can you reclaim a starting job? Because I don't think he's going into this season necessarily as a guaranteed starter with the youngsters. Seattle has a corner. Trey Brown, they're hoping to come back. Artie Burns coming in. Seattle's having a full-fledged competition. I expect he's going to be one of the starters, but there is pressure on him on a one-year deal. Can you play your way into the long-term plans for the Seahawks or for another team? He's had injury issues. He was healthy last year. Can you do it again this season and build off how you played the end of the year last year? If he does that, he might just get a multi-year deal from the Seahawks or another team next March. Yeah, and and you mentioned the one-year deal element of that. That, to me, is why I think that Sidney Jones absolutely needs to be on this list. Because, again, uh, you know, Seattle's struggles in the secondary a year ago, the last couple of years, is pretty much the reason why they had to make a change at defensive coordinator as well as defensive back coach um, and, and did made those changes. Um, and so Sidney Jones, I think, he has a lot of pressure on himself this year because it is a prove it kind of a deal. And that's basically where Marquise Blair has positioned himself. Now, this is the final year of his rookie contract. We've seen the flashes of brilliant play from him, but the durability concerns, the position, what, what position is he going to play and how well is he going to be able to acclimate to this new, uh, you know, secondary style of play that we are going expected to see from Desai and Carl Scott as well. So I I think all of these different factors put a lot of pressure on Marquise Blair. He, to me, Corbin, is the biggest wild card of all the players that we've talked about, offense or defense. I think you can make an argument that Marquise Blair is going to wind up being a starter for Seattle and might even uh, you know, be a competitor to, to re record the most interceptions this upcoming season. I think you can make another argument that he doesn't even make the damn roster. And there's not very many players on the team that what you can make a chasm that. that we're talking yeah, about here. <laughs> exactly. I mean, so that that to me is what makes him a player that you absolutely have to be paying attention to. And so I'm really fascinated to see how he performs this year. And I kind of feel the same way about another 2019 high draft pick that is entering the final year of his contract, and that is LJ Collier. Yeah. And we did see his second season in the league. He started all 16 games. He came up with some really clutch plays. He only had three sacks, but I think that undersold how well he played in 2020. I thought he had a pretty solid year, but he couldn't build off that. In fact, he was a healthy scratch in seven games last year. Seven. The Seahawks voluntarily told him, you are not dressing for this game. 
he fell out of the rotation. And I think you look at his first three years, he has to be in consideration for one of the worst first round picks that this franchise has ever made. He's had two seasons out of three that he hasn't recorded a sack and he's had less than 11 tackles. Like those are not numbers and he's played enough games too. I mean, he played 10 games last year. He played 11 games as a rookie, but he just hasn't been able to keep a permanent spot in the rotation. But the reason that I could see him still being a difference maker, he's back to around 290 pounds. He bulked back up. He's going to be playing defensive tackle in a 3-4 scheme exclusively. I think he's at his best when he plays at a heavier weight and he's reduced inside. He can play with his heavy hands, win with power, and he's still got the quickness to give guards problems playing from the 3-tech 4-eye alignment. I think that's where he is best equipped to have success. And Clint Hurd and Pete Carroll have talked about it this offseason, how impressive he has looked. I've been impressed by what I've seen. He just He looks like he's more explosive even though he's heavier. And he's just 275 pounds did not work for him. 290, though, I think is the perfect weight for his playing style. I think that defensive tackle position as a situational reserve where he comes into rush, I think he can be a disruptive force in that regard. He's got to go out and he's got to prove it. But just like Rashad Penny last year, he's a former first round pick that is just trying to play his way back into future plans. The Seahawks declined his fifth year option. They had to, there was no reason to pick that up. He's got to prove to them, I can still be an asset for you beyond this season by playing well in training camp, carving out a role in the rotation. I think he can do it. I could also see Miles Adams coming in and saying, that's my job. Thanks for playing. So this is certainly going to be a player that's going to have the microscope on him going into the final year of his rookie contract. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. When we return for our Thursday episode, we're going to have some takeaways from the first practice, which is coming up here in the next few hours. Seahawks will kick off their training camp. We'll have some offensive and defensive observations and much more. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks.